Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you in church this morning. Um, and uh, yeah, just I'm just looking at the the site over here, the sparsely populated site. So uh, we're we're filled up well here, and uh, yeah, hopefully that other people will come in time. Um, in terms of the coronavirus thing, I suppose we are encouraging people not to shake hands, uh, not to hug, and not to kiss, okay? I know that those are all biblical instructions, really. We should be doing that, but we just want to be careful with that. So um, you can uh, elbow tap. Um, I've been shown the Korean greeting. You could go like this here. Uh, to one another. You can foot tap as well, um, and you can shake hands if you want. It's your responsibility, but uh, I've given due diligence that we are thinking about those kind of things. We've changed the first hymn, and we're going to sing God of Grace, Amazing Wonder, um, and I was going to talk to you about Psalm 104, but I'm going to talk to you now about Psalm 90, because this is a psalm that, because of the death of Johnny Meldrum, that has been very much in my heart and in my mind over the last, uh, the last week, really. Um, and, and it's very hard, actually, to read this psalm at a funeral uh, because it speaks of the anger of God. It says this, Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. And so, and it comes in the context of a thousand days, you know, like a thousand years being like a day that's gone by. It's, it's kind of contrasting the sheer power and the eternal nature of God. And I suppose what I want us, what I've really been learning this week is how important it is that we reckon with death. And in light of the coronavirus, in light of, of Johnny's death and other things, that and it's not to be something to be afraid of in God. That's why he goes on to say, teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing. It is absolutely beautiful. Jesus comes to us and says, I am the answer to death. I am the answer in life. I can protect you through everything. And death is meant to teach us that and meant to make us think about that. So it is absolutely appropriate that we would sing God of grace, amazing wonder, irresistible and free. Oh, the miracle of mercy, Jesus reaches down to me because we are absolutely secure in his love and in his grace. So let's stand to worship him this morning. Well, let's talk to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we just come and uh, humble ourselves before you. We um, quieten our hearts before you. Um, Lord, we come to one to whom we should fear. Uh, because the span of our lives are 70 years and 80 if we have the strength. But Lord, the span of your life is from everlasting to everlasting. We are the ones who understand that we are frail and understand that we are moving on this journey towards death. 
And Father, we're conscious of the fears and the anxieties that we share with our community around us about an unseen problem, a virus, something infinitesimally small that can only be seen with an electron microscope. And yet, Father, it devastates our bodies and makes us weak. But Father, you are immune to that. You are you are sovereign, you are powerful, you are everlasting, and in you there is no weakness. And Father, you are saying to us this morning, I believe with power, that you are saying to us that we need to learn, we need to understand the truth of this, and that we need to look to you, not in a sense of being afraid of you, but being respectful of you and looking to you for help. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so, Father, we come humbly before you this morning. We submit ourselves to you in the right way, not in cowering fear, but as people with grateful hearts and minds. Father, we open our hands to you. We lift up our hands to you. And we say, Father, come to us, renew us, forgive us, strengthen us, give us more of your Spirit, forgive us our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness. And Father, help us to know that we are valued and that we are secure in you. Father, I pray that you will do a good and strong and mighty work within each one of us this morning. And Father, what a privilege it is that you have protected our country so far that we are still able to come, that we're able to congregate in our church this morning, that we are able to sing God of mercy, God of grace, amazing wonder. Father, we pray that we might see again how deeply you love us, how you have given your son, how you have sacrificed him so that we do not need to sacrifice ourselves, that we do not need to bear the punishment for sin, And that, Father, that you give us your grace day after day after day. And, Father, one of those graces is giving us each other. And, Father, we thank you for the variety of the people around us. We thank you, Father, for the gifts that you've given us. Thank you for the musicians and the singers. Thank you for those who are looking after us in the technical side. Thank you for those who have a love for children and are able to teach them the scriptures. Thank you, Father, for those who will lead us in prayer, for those who will speak to the boys and girls. Father, I pray that you will be with us and help us to appreciate one another more deeply each day. And that, Father, that we will value the friendships that we have in Christ and that the loyalty that we have to one another. Father, we thank you for this family of God, flawed as it is, but, Father, deeply loved and under your grace. And Father, we pray for those who cannot be with us, some of them because of the COVID-19 virus, some of them because of old age, some of them because they're busy doing other things, some of them because they've become careless with you. And Father, I pray that you will be with them, and that, Father, that you will continue to draw them. And the Bible says it's your loving kindness that leads us to repentance. And Father, I pray that you will always be as you are towards these folks. 
And Father, we pray that you would help us as we listen to your word, that we will hear again of just your help in these days. And that, Father, as we face opposition as your people, that we will know your ability and your strength. So, Father, it's been good for us to come and worship you this morning in song and in prayer. And we pray that you will continue with us. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we continue looking at our story of Joshua. And we're now in Joshua chapter 9. And uh, the Gibeonite deception. And Ezekiel's going to come and read that to us now. Thank you, Sam. So, Joshua chapter 9. Now, when all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, this is all the victories of Israel, those in the hill country, in the western foothills, and along the entire coast of the Great Sea, as far as the Lebanon, the kings of the Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, they came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. However, when the people of Gibeon heard that Joshua had done, um, what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they restored to Arus. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men put worn and patched sandals on, on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Heshron and Og king of Bashan who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new. But see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled their provisions, but did not inquire the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days 
after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites sent out, set out, and the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirath, Beeroth, and Kiriath, Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders, but all the leaders answered, we have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that the wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the entire community. So the leaders, so the leaders promise to them was kept. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by saying we live a long way from you? while actually you live near us. You're now under a curse. You will never cease to serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, your servants were clearly told how the Lord your God has commanded his servant Moses to give you the whole land and to wipe out all its inhabitants from before you. So we feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. We are now in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua saved them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. That day he made the Gibeonites woodcutters and water carriers for the community and for the altar of the Lord at, at the place of the Lord would choose. And that is what they are to this day. Word of God. Thank you. <coughs> if the boys and girls could come to the front. Don't call. 
call the third volunteer deception. Deception is a big word. Deception just means lie or something that's not true. Something that you think might be real but in fact isn't. Okay, do I have three volunteers? Tell you what it is. Treasure hunt. There's always treasure hidden in a in a room of organization. <laughs> and I'm going to hide this treasure somewhere in the church. And it is Brave's job to try and find it. One challenge is Brave's going to be wearing a blindfold, and Truth is going to be leading Brave to where the treasure is. And deception and nuisance here is going to be trying to put it off. Okay, are we ready? Robin? So we're going to blindfold you first. Just put that on. Tell me you can't see. And when you're happy, you can't see. It's not going to be too far away. To, uh, so, Brave, you've only got two minutes to do this. So it's going to be very fast. Truth. You have to guide Brave to the right location, and if you get there, Brave gets the treasure. Deception, it's your job to try and stop them. If you stop or get into the treasure, you get it. Okay? <coughs> now, okay, Brave, you stand up. I'm going to turn you around two times. Okay? Right, guys. Truth. There you go. You have to no, you can't, you can't touch, you can't touch Brave, you just speak to her and, and direct her in the right direction. Um, Robin, you're not going to fall over. Nobody, distraction and nuisance cannot get in your way. She can only speak to you and start trying to affect you. Okay, let's go. Your job is to
do it through prayer, we do it through reading the Bible, and we do it by listening. And very often, God's voice is a very quiet voice, speaking quietly to us. And it's also to other things screaming at us loud in a quiet tune way. And third thing, God loves every single one of us. And what's God doing? God is leading us towards the greatest treasure of all. He's giving us his son, he's giving us the Holy Spirit, and he's leading us to a place where we will be part of his family and we will be given reign forever. Guys, thank you for listening very well. Thank you for your help. And Jonathan and the group will come and lead us in worship. Lord, I lift your name on high. Everybody, that was very well done. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Katie and the band. Uh, Boys and girls, yes, if you're going to K2 or Sunday Special, you're free to go now. Well, folks, if you have your uh, order service there, I want to work through some of these announcements uh, for you. Again, just to say that you are very welcome to the service this morning um, and pray God's blessing. Uh, We pray God's blessing upon you. You see that next uh, weekend is the beginning of the St. Patrick's Week celebrations, really. And so that's the nearest date to um, St. Patrick's Day, which I think is the Tuesday. Um, So Katie's putting together uh, a St. Patrick's Day family service, um, and uh, we will all stay in and uh, make that as interactive as we can. Um, We'd love to have you and uh, to celebrate uh, the, the, the life of St. Patrick and to learn from him uh, for those uh, who come and also for visitors who may be with us as well. Prayer ministry continues at the front here beside the organ. Our elders meet on Tuesday and do pray for us as we meet. Um, really, I suppose I just wanted to talk through you about the coronavirus thing at the moment. Um, I've got this whole sheet that's been given to us by the Presbyterian Church. I've read through some of the HSE stuff as well. Um, But I do want, uh, I suppose I want to say to you that if you are feeling unwell, if you have a temperature or a dry cough that's out of the ordinary and you know it's not caused by asthma or anything else, then do not come to church and do not come to any of the activities of the church. That is your great responsibility towards the family of God here. Um, If you are uh, from an overseas country, you are very welcome, absolutely. Um, But again, you need to be careful that if you're coming from an area where the virus is, that you might just think about how you interact with others uh, as well. We need to be very careful about how I've already washed my hands twice today, um, and uh, I am not mad about sanitizer, but I'm pretty happy about soup and uh, water. Let's just wash our hands. Let's be careful about that. We have, I am telling you um, that I would like you not to shake hands, hug or kiss, but just to elbow, do whatever you feel comfortable with in letting people know uh, who you are. Um, And we have a duty of care also as well to each other. Uh, I have to you, you have to me. Um, and, and particularly in terms of visiting, um, that if you are unwell with flu-like symptoms, you are not to expect your minister, etc., to go there and to uh, visit you. But we can do it by Skype or telephone or some other means online, it says here as well. 
Um, so I suppose also, folks, there's two things I want to kind of, I mean, we believe in the sovereignty of God. You can read Psalm 91, and it says the deadly pestilence will not hit us. We don't believe that that means it gives us immunity. But God is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. We are responsible as human beings, and we must take responsibility. We hold those two things together. You need to be sensitive to each other, because I actually have very little anxiety about coronavirus at this time. But that doesn't mean that somebody here is very anxious about it. They may have seen somebody that they know uh, die from an infection in the past. They may be quite anxious about it. We have a responsibility to each other to be serious about how others are feeling about this. And also we have uh, different levels of vulnerability. The young people are not particularly vulnerable, but the older people are. The death rates are much higher in older people as well. And also, we want you to pray for the leaders. Um, we're already discussing about with the leaders of each of our organizations, um, um, and we're not trying to single any particular one out, but we have difficult decisions to make, and we do want to be careful about that, and we value your prayers, and we, we pray, we ask that you would pray for us in all of that. So it is a threat, uh, but it's something under the sovereign control of God. And we will take as much responsibility as we can and to help you along that as well. So that's really what I want to say about that. Um, and if you uh, have any questions, do feel free to ask us. Number five, I think, is important as well. Um, uh, we have a, a, a student who's been uh, with us over the last number of weeks. Uh, his name is Tyler uh, from the U.S., and uh, he has his girlfriend visiting for eight nights, and he would love uh, to be able to uh, uh, have her in someone's home. He's willing to pay for that, uh, the costs of that, between the 28th of March and the 5th of April. And if you have a spare room and are happy to do that, uh, then contact him through that email address there. Yeah, all the other things really just there as well. Um, Salt Project, they just I see it slightly different in that uh, there is this Dublin and Munster Presbytery uh, event in Evoca Manor. God willing, it will continue. And I just want to highlight that that's an excellent way to get to know other uh, young people from other churches in the presbytery as well. So um, I think that's all the announcements that I have this morning. So let's uh, just prepare our hearts as we sing again by faith. We see the hand of God. Well, a great choice of song, isn't it? And uh, really, that's what uh, one of the lessons to be learned from this reading, isn't it? That we walk by faith and not by sight, if you'll remember that story. So if you have your Bibles, i uh, love you to open them at Joshua chapter 9 as we think through this uh, story together. I've just remembered that we do have a PowerPoint. Um, so um, opposition in the Christian life. So in a sense, I want to take you back uh, to the time of Joshua. And I'm, I'm trying to get us to think not really as Joshua, but as an Israelite. Um, and you would have a lot to talk about, wouldn't you? You'd have a lot that you've seen that you need to think through. Living as God people in the promised land was a real roller coaster of highs and lows. There was God's supernatural intervention 
The flow of the Jordan River stopped while in flood. It was a miracle. The walls of Jericho fell without reason. A miracle. And you've experienced and been part of two major battle successes where there has been total victory and where you have been allowed in one of them to carry off all the plunder of the people who lived in that particular city. It's also been very deeply spiritual. You have all had your children circumcised, coming into the promised land. There has been times of heartfelt worship to God. You've built three uh, big piles of stones. You have remembered the great work of God. You have received the word of God. You have seen it written down and you've stood and you've listened to the whole of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy read to you. You've celebrated the sacrifice of the atonement and the fellowship offering. And you've seen this dramatic, uh, was where, you, where you were last, is that you've been on these two mountains, Ebal and Gerizim, and you've been standing in the middle, and you've committed yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly. And I suppose what, what I'm hoping you're doing as an Israelite now is that you're joining the dots, that you're beginning to put together the big picture, that you're seeing the truth of blessing and obedience to God, that you're understanding the reality of curses. It's a terrible word, isn't it? We don't like that word. I don't like it myself. I've been thinking about it. And I'm really just saying that's having God in opposition coupled with disobedience. But I hope that you're beginning to see beyond that. You're not just looking at the circumstances. You're beginning to look at God. You're beginning to see who this God is and his character. You've understood his love. You've understood his justice. You've understood his power and his sovereignty. And we're beginning to understand in our hearts that that demands a certain respect of him. And of course, we're not living back then in 1240 BC, which I think is probably the most accurate date, but we're now in 2020 AD. What does it mean for us? Well, of course, this is applied to us through Jesus or Joshua, and it's not about land and military victories but it's about the reign of Jesus as King and Lord of our hearts. It's understanding that our sins have been forgiven through his sacrifice of atonement and having received peace with him through the offering of fellowship and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's about our response of love for and obedience to his written word, the Bible, including now the New Testament so that we stand not on the side of the condemned, but on the side of the saved. Those who are called Christians and more properly disciples. We know that Satan and sin and death are defeated. We are children of the King. We are subjects of the kingdom of God. We have crossed the Jordan. We have defeated the initial opposition. We have established ourselves and we are absolutely secure as the people of God in the land, as it were. 
And we've set up our three piles of stones, and we remember all that God has done in salvation and baptism, all that he has done through sin at the cross, all that he has promised in terms of resurrection from the dead. And then we're standing there, and we're wondering, what next? How do we live this life? What's it going to be like? How are we going to survive in this place? And that is the topic for today. What is the reality of the Christian life, the journey of discipleship, with a focus, as we see in verse 2, on opposition and its subtlety in verse 4? So let's pray, and let's ask that God would help us to understand what this is all about. Father, it is an amazing story. It was an amazing story for Joshua and the Israelites. It was supernatural. It was unbelievable in many ways. And yet here they are. They stand in the promised land, and they're wondering what next. And Father, I pray that you would reassure us who are believers in you that we are absolutely secure. We are children of the King. Jesus is our Lord. And Father, we have a destiny. We are part of the kingdom of God. We are in heaven, spiritually speaking. And yet we live in this world, and we need to know what it's like. And I pray that you would help us to learn from what we hear today. And I pray and ask for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, firstly, we have um, in verses 1 and 2 what I've called the reality of opposition Verse 1 and 2, and yeah, Mike chose that little diagram. It's uh, very close to what you had there, Ray. That's brilliant. Uh, We didn't uh, coalesce on this, which I always love about these things. But chapter 9, by the way, is the beginning of a new section of the book of Joshua. Here you see the entire alliance of the kings of the west of Jordan um, come together to make war on Israel. We need to hear that word. You see it in verse 2. They came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. They're not happy that they're there. We wouldn't be happy as well in some ways if these people had just marched onto our land either. And the opposition in this case is upfront and overt. And if I'm an Israelite, I'd be thinking, this isn't what I was expecting. This is not what I want. But actually, this is the reality. The reality is that the world opposes the arrival of of God's people. That is the reality. And we shouldn't be surprised by that, of course, because Jesus told us that. For us as Christian disciples, he said in Matthew 10, when he sent them out on a mission, ultimately, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. And it's not a physical fight, by the way. It is never a physical fight. We were absolutely wrong with the Crusades. It is never a physical fight. Because Paul makes that clear in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So where is the battle fought? The battle is fought in our inner beings. It's centered in the human heart, and it is a battle. One of the verses that I have learned um, is from Colossians 3. It says, put to death, therefore, 
whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And so becoming a Christian is the first step on the journey of many. And on that journey, you will face opposition. The world, the devil, and your sinful nature will wage war against us in our inner mind, self, and in the church, and we are to expect it. That's what it's saying. And we'll come back to that, of course, in further uh, situations as well. Now, yeah, I don't know about this picture, but there you go. So ruse is not a word that we use, of course, but it does rhyme um, with the other R, um, and so that's why we've got it here in that way. It really means a scheme or deception, and here is someone planning something evil from the Simpsons, I think. So the Gibeonites resort to deceit. You can see that out of fear. They're scared, by the way, in verse 24. Uh, they're scared of what the, the church will do. Uh, they're scared of what uh, the people of God will do. And they heard of what God had done in Egypt, verse 9, if you go back again. So they're, again, you've got to remember that they're kind of painting a story here. So they've heard what happened in Egypt, in other words, crossing of the Red Sea. They've heard what happened to the kings east of the Jordan in verse 10. That's the kings of Zihon and uh, Og, uh, king of Bashan. Uh, they were defeated. Um, they have undoubtedly heard of Jericho and undoubtedly heard of Ai or Ai, but to admit that, of course, would give them away. So they're not mentioned in their description. And they devise, as you have read, or Ezekiel has read to us, an ingenious and bold scheme with worn-out clothes, sandals, sacks, wineskins, and dry and moldy bread, all to deceive. There is actually a fascinating story behind this. I've used the word backstory three times today, and that's why I have it here. Um, in chapter 20 of Deuteronomy, because the, the Word of God actually allowed for a treaty to be made if your city was far away and therefore had no direct influence on the people of God. You were allowed to make a treaty with them. That was what Moses said. But if you look in chapter 10 and verse 2, you'll see that Gibeon is a large royal city with a strong army, and actually it's less than 20 miles away from where they are at this moment. So none of what they say is true. They have thought outside the box. It's been quite ingenious, but they have deceived the people of God. They also flatter Joshua and the Lord. You look in verse 8, they say, we are your servants. They said that numerous times. We are your servants. We will do what you say. And in verse 9, they say, we have heard of the fame of the Lord your God. And in a sense, they had, and both of those things were true. So as with Joshua and the Israelites, so with us, the opposition we face is not always overt, but it is usually subtle, flattering, and deceitful. So one of the ways that I thought, you know, how do we apply this today? <clears throat> and one of the things that has struck me, and, I, uh, and I'm kind of going aside here, is, is as we see what the world wants, it just is insidious, isn't it? It's so 
It's easy to think about, and we, we just kind of take it on board, our individualism we've spoken about before, our lack of community, uh, our fact that we want to do things in our own strength. Um, and one of the ads that really sums up our world particularly well, and I think I've used this before, is the L'Oreal ad. Um, and that's what it says, because I'm worth it. Okay? That's flattery, isn't it? Because you're worth it. And what does that lead us to? Well, it leads us away from discipline. It leads us away from self-sacrifice. It leads us away from selflessness and community involvement. It leads us away from commitment and being focused on other people. It leads us towards an easy life of ease and pampering and giving ourselves good things and selfishness. And it's not all bad, of course, but that's the direction that it takes us because I'm worth it. And you are worth it, by the way. You're created in God's image. You're saved by his son's death. You are children of God and secure in him, but you are called to serve him and others. It's the total opposite direction. You are not called to serve yourself because you're worth it. You're called to serve others and him because you're worth it. And it's subtle. Very subtle. Or the independent individual prevailing culture of I don't need anyone. I'm fine, thank you. How are you today? Well, I'm fine. I don't need you. And I don't need you. And I don't need you. I'm okay myself. Isn't that what we say? And we honor achievement and excellent in academics, academics and sport and beauty and business and the self-made and the positive and the happy and the healthy and the young and the fit. And that's what we put on our social media accounts. It's what our stories are. It's what we do with our pictures. And yet the truth is, by the way, that we're broken and sinful. The world is full of real difficulties of climate change and flu viruses and inequality and corrupt governments. In World Report today, it was about Zimbabwe and their inability to deal with the coronavirus. And the guy said at the end of it, it seems so unfair that a country that is so broken has something else to deal with. And of course, we are, as ourselves, sinful and broken people. There is death. There is child abuse, there are murder-suicides, there's antisocial behavior. Every day is not a good day, our skin is not perfect, our hair is not to our liking. And our reactions, well, they're not the kind of things that we want to publish to everybody around. The world says you must be fine. The Bible says you are not fine. But the Bible says you have a God who is your keen and your helper, and he meets every need that you have. He forgives your sin. He is with you wherever you go. You are not to be discouraged. You are not to be dismayed, because the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you are. You see, the opposition deceives that you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it while you're young. Don't think about God just now. 
because you're young and fit and healthy and you can do what you want. That's not the reality, folks. And death reminds us of it. And it's there to teach us to number our days aright. So we need to be careful. And those are not the only ruses, but those are some of them that we've already come across. And then the result of opposition, just their different responses to this. If you look from verse 15 on, um, not going to say too much about this, but Joshua makes a treaty of peace with them, and he lets them live. That was ratified, as you'll see, by the leaders of the people. They agreed to a relationship that allowed a people hostile to them, verses 1 and 7. You just need, we need to know, by the way, that the, the, the Gibeonites are actually Hivites, that they live close. They're one of the, the, the folks that were hostile to the people of God. And the amazing thing is, actually, it wasn't just Gibeon, but a larger group of towns and cities. Ezekiel did very well with reading all those strange names in verse 17. So there's just this one city that come, but actually there's a whole conglomeration of them. And uh, it aroused anger, didn't it, within the people? You see the people are mad at the leaders, and there's discontent in the community. The leaders are criticized, and actually it was a real mess. This is a real mess. Something that shouldn't have happened has happened. Something that is a danger to them is in their midst. And then the leaders then have to make a decision about what to do, and they decide, uh, wisely as it turns out, not to go against the oath made to God. And for the sake of his name and honor, they are allowed the Gibeonites to ruin as servants, woodcutters, and woodcarriers under a curse, a punishment for their deception, as we see in verse 23. And yet, I suppose, if you read that and you were listening carefully to when Ezekiel was reading it, the Gibeonites are allowed to live. Verse 15, verse 20, verse 21, and verse 26. And they serve the people of Israel. So that's the primary point, is the Gibeonites are allowed to live. They weren't supposed to, but they're allowed to live. So what are we to make of the reality of this opposition and its deceit? And that is what we're really the lessons I think we need to learn. And that's the first lesson, is that we are to pray. You see that in verse 14? The men of Israel sampled their provisions. In other words, they lived by sight and not by faith, but they did not inquire of the Lord. Folks, it's really poor spiritual leadership, and it's dangerous particularly in light of their suspicions in verse 7. They really they were quite suspicious of these guys. They weren't 100% aware of where they came from. But no one in leadership thought to ask God. And actually, they disobeyed the Word of God because the law of God in Numbers 27 and 21 said that when they had a doubt about something, when something wasn't clear from the Word of God, they were to go to the priest And they were to ask him. And it actually says that he will make decisions. He will give you the answer that God wants on your behalf. And folks, we live in a hostile world, controlled by the master of deception himself. And it is vital that we pray and that we ask for this gift of discernment and wisdom. James tells us that we do not have because we do not ask. So Christians must live. So how are you to live in the midst of this opposition? You are to live prayerfully and dependent on the Word of God. 
There is a danger when we are consciously or unconsciously say, I can handle this, relying on our own thinking and particularly on the circumstances that prevail at the time. We do not know the heart. We do not know the full story. And folks, it's not easy. Our decisions do have consequences. They require patience, time, discussions with others, and a good knowledge of God's Word. Perhaps one of the best verses for this is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. That's what we're to do. That's how we're to live. And secondly, we're to keep your word and have integrity. I don't know how you felt when you read this, but um, when I read this, I was absolutely gobsmacked that the leaders insisted on keeping their word. I am sure they were livid with these Gibeonites. I'm sure that they were livid that they had been deceived. And they're under pressure as well from the people saying, look, you need to, we need to destroy these people. We need to take them out. We need to get rid of them. <clears throat> and those who are more discerning would be able to see the consequences, the long-term consequences of that, of having disobeyed God and having the enemy so close. And yet the higher and overriding concern was the promise made, a word given to God and before God in verses 18 to 20. I'm going to take a drink here. Listen to the psalmist again. Who is holy and may dwell with God? He who keeps his oath, even when it hurts. David Jackman says the honor of Yahweh is at stake. That's God. And his very name implies that, that he is the God who faithfully keeps every one of his promises. To turn upon the Gibeonites would be to infer that Yahweh's word was unreliable, that his character is capricious, and that his actions unpredictable. His name is not to be trodden underfoot because of his people's foolish mistakes. So, folks, this is so unlike the world, isn't it? You know, we, we, don't, we don't trust government because we don't think they keep their promises. We don't trust people in the, in the journalism industry perhaps as much as we used to because we don't think that sometimes what they're writing is actually true. We, we spend so much. And I suppose what we are to be as a people <clears throat> who are different. I've been really struck, folks, and I, I have it down here, just about baptismal voice. We promise before God to bring our children to the Lord. And yet many of the people who do that at the front of this church do not do that. What about marriage? So easy, folks, isn't it, in this day and age to think that marriage is a dispendable, you know, we can just give it up when it gets tough. That's not what God says. Yes, the struggles are real, the temptations are huge, and often we want to walk away. But remember that God is a promise-keeping God, and we are to be his people. We are to be people when we say yes, it means yes. And when we say no, it means no. We are not to be spinners of, of the truth. We are to be sincere, people of integrity, and we are to keep our word. And that is becoming harder. But we must do it because that honors our God.
So we are to pray, we are to keep our word. And lastly, we are to see that God who redeems in this. I think that is the bit that I suppose really struck me. These gibbonets, by the way, are allowed to live, as I've said, 15, 20, 21, and 26, and they serve the people of God. Actually, primarily, they serve the people of God in the temple. It was the temple that needed water. It was the temple that needed wood for the sacrifices. And that's what they do. They serve in the temple. They're like the gatekeepers of the, of the temple. They're like the sexton, the marcuses of this, temp, of, the, of this particular situation. And that brings them into the presence of God. And by the time you read Nehemiah, and they're rebuilding the walls at the time post-exile, you read that the Gibeonites have a whole section of the wall to themselves, that there are 95 of them listed who do the work within the temple because God has brought them into his kingdom. He has shown them mercy. He's shown them grace. He has redeemed them. And that's what the cross is all about, isn't it? For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man, the many were made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what he loves to do. He loves to take the mess and make it better. He loves to take the sin and forgive it. He loves to take those who were excluded and include them. And I suppose I just want us to see that. I want us to see this great God who redeems. And you may have come to church today and you may think that I have done something terrible. I have sinned in the past. I've made a mess of my life. I haven't followed God. And he says to you, you're welcome. You're welcome to this community of people who mess up. You're welcome to this community of people who recognize themselves to be sinners. You're people who make unwise decisions, who are often foolish and do not follow God. But God is our hero. He rescues us. He redeems us. And yes, we need to pray. And yes, we need to keep to his word. But when we mess up, we must not give up. Isn't it brilliant? How good is the God we adore, our faithful and unchangeable friend? His love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. Amen. Well, let's worship him as we give our offering to him now. Let's pray to God together. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. 
O what peace we often forfeit, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the amazing privilege of prayer. What a gracious God you are, that you care for us despite our sinful attitude towards you and towards other at times. You have told us not to be anxious about anything, but to bring our requests and concerns to you. And so we bring our prayers to you now. Lord, first of all, we bring before you the needs of some of our congregation. <coughs> the Meldrum family are very much on our minds this morning. Lord, we thank you for John Meldrum, for all he has meant to us in Adelaide Road Church, for his contribution to the life of this church, for his kindness and his great sense of fun. And now we pray for our dear sister, Heather, for Kingsley, Morgan, Simon, and all the Meldrum family in their sad loss. Only you understand fully what each of them is going through at this time. You have promised to be close to the brokenhearted, and we ask that the Meldrum family will all experience your closeness at this difficult time. We ask you to comfort them, to give them strength, to give them a real awareness of the depth of your love for them, and to give them your peace, both now and in the days ahead. There are others in our congregation who are suffering in various ways. Some are ill, some facing surgery, some caring for loved ones, some struggling with the busyness of day-to-day -day life. We know, Lord, that you like honest prayers. Help us to tell you what we're really thinking and feeling in all these situations. We take a moment's silence to bring before you the issues and the individuals on our minds. O oh Lord, hear our prayers. Lord, we would also like to pray about the coronavirus. We pray for wisdom, stamina and protection for all who are working so hard to get to grips with this epidemic and to curtail the spread of the virus. Tony Holohan and his expert group, the HSE, the frontline healthcare professionals, the rapid response teams, other public health authorities throughout the world and the World Health Organization. Please reveal to them what is needed to conquer this virus so that a vaccine will be found soon. We ask for your comfort for those bereaved as a result of the virus and for those suffering from COVID-19. We pray that we will all exercise a strong sense of social responsibility and a determination to do all we can to limit the spread. And we pray that people will not be overwhelmed by anxiety and stress. 
Please use this crisis to waken us up to the fragility of human life and to the importance of eternal life. Bring good out of this awful experience and draw us all closer to you. In the middle of this crisis, help us to be still, to remember that you are God, you are still on the throne, that you are still in control. You told us to approach your throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So we do that now. We call on your mercy and pray a big, bold prayer in the name of Jesus, that you will intervene in this crisis and halt the spread of this virus right now. We bring before you the current efforts to form a government in our own country. We need a wise, strong government to tackle many challenges. Please overrule in the ongoing negotiations for the formation of a government. We pray that all our elected representatives will put aside their personal and party ambitions and act in the best interests of our country. Heavenly Father, it has been good to see that when Joshua and the Israelites acknowledged you, you directed their paths and blessed them in all the battles that they faced on their journey to the promised land. As we face whatever battles and challenges the coming week may bring, we pray that we will stay constantly tuned in to you and will listen well to you. Thank you that as children of God, you have promised that you will be with us wherever we go and that you will never abandon us. Like Joshua, help us to take strength and courage from that fact, to trust in your provision and faithfulness and to obey you and so be wise stewards of the gift of our lives. Father, we humbly pray all these prayers in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, June. It was, there was something lovely, isn't it, being, about being led in prayer? And uh, June, you could have gone on much longer, um, for me anyway, in that way. It was just lovely to be led in that way. Thank you. Um, I suppose the one thought I just wanted to share with you is that Johnny Meldrum had been coming to this church for 70 years, that he started coming as a boy of 12, and that he died at 82. So he was in this church for 70 years, um, and uh, just quite an amazing uh, reality to that. Folks, we're going to sing about there is a higher throne, because we have a deep hope and reality of the reigning Lord Jesus Christ. That is our security, and that is where our promise of eternal blessing lies. So let's stand and sing, There is a Higher Throne. <laughs> 